Welcome to the Crossroads Podcast. This is Andrew Fitelli. I am your host, and thank you for tuning in. My guest today is Brendan Duval, the CEO and founder of Glenfarn Group. Brendan founded Glenfarn Group in 2011, has worked in the infrastructure sector for more than 23 years. Today, we're going to talk about the global investment outlook for power and energy, the environment for the U.S. LNG sector, particularly the impact of the war in Ukraine, and the challenges facing the renewable sector in the U.S. Brendan, thank you for joining us today. Andrew, good to talk to you again. It's great to be back. It was great to have you here. So to start out, can you tell our audience a little bit about Glenfarn Group and where your company is focused within the infrastructure sector? For sure. I enjoy talking about it. So Glenfarn Group, we've put all of our energy businesses under a, a company going forward, Glenfarn Energy Transition. And we did that because of the way we see the global energy transition needs, which is, and I use the phrase, the, the triangle of transition which has three key underpinnings to it. Firstly, the world has to move to more renewables and that has to happen at an accelerating rate. But when you make the observation that penetration of renewables is really stalling in many uh, economies and high growth economies due to the lack of grid stability and grid stability are highly flexible power plants. And those highly flexible power plants are flexible because of the type of fuel and the best flexible fuel is global LNG and the best global LNG for flexibility is US LNG. And US LNG is flexible financially and logistically. You can push the molecules back into the US matrix and not ship them if, you, if there was a problem. And the contracts are written to allow financial flexibility. So if you think the three points of the triangle, renewables, grid stability, and global LNG solutions, they're the three business units of Glenfarn. And we're focused on those three because that's the real here and now energy transition. And we're taking that to high growth emerging markets, putting boots on the ground in high growth emerging markets, Chile, Colombia, Brazil, Ecuador, Indonesia, Vietnam, et cetera, Malaysia. And that's our business today using USLNG to take that three step solution into high growth emerging markets. And we see that's where the biggest bang for the buck in carbon reduction is going to be. So you bring up LNG, which obviously has become a major global topic since February uh, when Russia invaded Ukraine and really spurred questions about the global reliance on Russian natural gas. Now, as you mentioned, your firm's been active in the global LNG space, including here in the US. How did the invasion impact how you approach the market? It really did have an important impact for us. We started out as grid stability developers in Latin America and that they're highly flexible power plants. So we looked at how can we increase our developing edge? And we realized if we controlled LNG flows, it would give us an edge to being a gas to power developer in, in the markets we were focused on, high growth emerging markets. So when we took on our LNG export projects, we were mainly developing them for internal demand. And I remember being in, in Australia, my first trip back to Australia since the uh, COVID uh, events and the, the invasion into Ukraine happened. And the first thing I did is I actually called my business partner, Vlad Blutzer, who grew up in the Ukraine. And I said, what are we going to do? And we, we contact one of our other business partners, Brian Murphy, and we said, 
we should actually redirect our business plan here. We have an LNG facility, two LNG facilities that are ready to go to FID. And we've, we were going to commit the cargoes to our own projects. We can send those over to Europe. And so we put in place a strategy to market our LNG globally, but, but into Europe. And part of global LNG, as you know, the more LNG that's on water, it supports the global market. And the more LNG that there is, the more opportunity Europe has to get off Russian gas. So it had a big impact, we think a positive impact, and we're really excited about uh, how we've built out our global marketing capabilities to support this shift from Russian gas to, to global LNG solutions. And have you been accelerating projects in the US and elsewhere because of the invasion to try to speed up getting more LNG onto the global market? Well, we've accelerated our mindset, but our both our Magnolia LNG project and our Texas LNG project have their own timeline that, that is sort of nearly independent of, of that LNG offtake. And so Magnolia, from a technical standpoint, permitting, engineering and everything, it can go to FID as soon as we choose to put it in. And Texas LNG will have all of its requirements in place, end of Q4, early Q1. And that, that, what, that didn't change due to the, the, the Russian invasion of the Ukraine. What did was that we're, we're now negotiating LNG offtake agreements with, with global partners that when they fall into place, we'll immediately announce FID. And what markets are you focusing on for these offtake agreements? You mentioned Europe, which obviously has significant need now to reduce its dependence on Russian gas. Has that been your primary focus? It's Europe, it's Asia, and it's Latin America. So our specialty is high growth emerging markets, but there is just so much demand in Europe and having European offtake, which generally has a more transparent, creditworthy sort of counterparty to understand. We do have marketing now uh, out of London and out of Barcelona into Europe. So it's sort of the, the newest growth in where we're putting people out marketing, but we will have offtake from all three time zones. And you mentioned that the importance of USLNG and the role it can play. Do you think that enough is being done to spur LNG production and export in the US? Or do you think more can be done both by the market and by the on the policy level by the federal government? Well, firstly, I think the United States with its pro-business mindset, you know, the deepest capital markets in the world and some of the best entrepreneurs in the world, I'm proud to be developing the business here. And to be honest, I, I couldn't have chosen a better place to grow Glenfarn. So you know, the best day in the US is often, you know, still better than, than you know, doing it in other countries. The, I think the policies in the US are very supportive of the US being a global facilitator of energy security, right? And no matter which government is in power in the US, the US in general is very supportive of the role of global energy and the US's role in global energy and energy security. So I, I think there is a lot being done. Like everything, when a permit gets stuck or there's some sort of policy, you always want to see it move quicker. But to be honest, in all of our interactions at all different levels of, of government and political parties, we've been very well supported in both of our projects. So I, I absolutely have nothing to complain about. And when it comes to the global market, obviously there is 
the need for LNG. Um, at the same time, Europe and the United States, certain countries have kind of ambitious targets for getting off all fossil fuels and switching over to renewables. I mean, does that create tension when you're trying to come up with offtake agreements uh, to develop projects that are long-term projects when countries are saying that they're going to get off natural gas by a certain date? I mean, is that a challenge at all? Is that something that Europe has responded sufficiently to the current situation? It's still being hammered out how the right policies can support a two-pronged parallel process, which is over time, let's talk about Europe, specifically Europe, but, but we could say for any advanced OECD economy, everyone's targeting zero carbon electricity in the long run. The important thing is we've got to do what we call now here and now energy transition, which is first decommissioning all the coal plants, right? And so the decommissioning of the coal plants can only happen if some more firm capacity is installed. And firm capacity means a power plant that can turn on and off as needed. And so all those governments in Europe know that the only way to replace coal in the medium term is with gas. Now, the question is, how quickly then can a transition from gas uh, happen and or transition to some other fuel such as green hydrogen? And is that 20 years? Is that 40 years? My experience is in most of these markets is that that transition is longer and slower than, than most people plan for. And in a lot of my conversations on one-on-one, most political and technical you know, counterparties in Europe will agree that it's actually going to take more like 20 years and not 10 years and not 15 years and beyond 20 years, to be honest. So we've, we've seen that the, the, the conversations into Europe and the recognition of, of two things. One, energy uh, sustainability and energy security. The energy security has to be dealt with now. And if you have energy security, then you can then focus on energy sustainability. And that sustainability will take beyond 20 years and most recognize it. What we're waiting for now is it to be announced clearly at, at a political level in Europe. All right. Very interesting. Now, you mentioned the importance of ramping up renewables, and that has also been a focus for Glenn Farn. Obviously, the last year has been challenging in in the U.S. renewables market in many ways, both supply chain issues, questions regarding tariffs. Do you see things improving in that sense? And how difficult has it been to invest in this climate over the last 12 months or so? So for us, our, our renewables business, the moment is in Latin America. So in, in Chile, Panama, and growing into Colombia. The same supply chain issues globally have, have really been there, which is getting panels out of China, the price of those panels varying, and the logistics on the ships getting them to where they need to go. And that definitely has caused challenges and contractors that are building those plants have you know, felt, felt that impact. But in general, I think the community of developers out there and even renewable developers, it's a very robust set of business people and developers never let a, a supply chain issue stop them from pressing forward. And that's the role of the developer, right? So we see that, that the, the future for renewables and you know, we're looking at stuff in the US as well, and we will be developing some renewables that, that feed our Texas LNG facility. It's still a great place to be. 
there's there's you know equipment supply available. It's it's flowing. It's moving. So where we remain very positive on on renewables and and a great place to invest and develop. All right, great. Well, thank you for that. Any other sectors that Glenn Farn is looking at that you think there might be significant opportunities in the coming years? So we've accelerated over the last 18 months our development of LNG import terminals. And so we think getting uh, hard to replicate infrastructure installed and in place and then marketing that LNG supply into high growth emerging markets off those terminals is a really great business. And so we've spent spending time in Latin America and, and in Southeast Asia with, with our import terminals development business. And we're very pleased with how that's going. And we've signed a number of strategic joint ventures that are yet to be announced. So that's one area where we're very focused on. Over time, we will be participating and we have some early stage green hydrogen initiatives. And we do believe that staying close to that, albeit it's still an emerging industry, we think being part of the process of understanding how green hydrogen can be produced cost-effectively and being on the front end of that curve is a good place for us to be. So there are two areas. And ultimately, the consumption of you know a, 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 a gaseous energy source, there's a lot of similarities to, at the end point of green hydrogen and and LNG converted back to gas. All right. Well, thank, thank you for that. Now, what is your investment outlook globally for the power and energy market? So we see it as a great time to be in energy because, you know, there's need for the skills, right? And what we found is it's really, there's, there's usually a lot of capital out there. The real key is to have the skills to, to uh, uh, develop the projects in a fundable and a financeable way. And that's really where we've specialized. So for us, our focus is always on high quality development and uh, when that's in place, the project finance just just follows. And so we do see abundance of, of project finance available. And we continue to always use that capital. What we have seen, in my opinion, is underinvestment in many markets in grid stability. So these highly flexible power plants that turn on and off when the renewables go on and off. And as you know, Andrew, the sun goes down every night, the wind changes in different seasons, and hydroelectricity has different rainfall patterns throughout the year, even throughout the day. But most importantly, hydro conditions vary over a five-year period where you always have drought years and you have a, a lot of rainfall. And what we've seen is as weather patterns become more erratic over time, the frequency of all renewables going to their lowest level at the same time is increasing. And so we've seen the big freeze in, in Texas. We're seeing power plants that are meant to run 1% of the time in Chile running 20% of the time. We saw the Australian energy regulator take over control of the, the spot market. And a lot of that is due to underinvestment in grid stability in the right locations with the right technologies. And so we see that as a great place for us to continue 
to invest uh, globally. We've got a real specialty in it. And we think it's a grid stability is a true enabler of deep penetration of renewables. And so that's, we'll, we'll continue to invest there. We'll continue to invest in global LNG solutions and we'll continue to invest in the right spots in renewables. And we see opportunity in all of our markets for all three. And focusing really on the U.S. from my standpoint, do you think more needs to be done from a policy standpoint to ensure grid stability? I know that's a hot topic here. Well, one of the key policies for grid stability is you never know when you're going to need it. And when you go through periods of time where there's an abundance of normal weather conditions and normal renewable supply, everyone sort of forgets and policymakers and even business decision makers don't remember like three or four years ago and they think some reason those patterns won't reoccur. And the way other markets have dealt with that is they've put in place long-term capacity contracts. And these are contracts that run for 10, 20 years or even into perpetuity under a regulated program. And I think in a lot of the markets that we're seeing now throughout the US, adopting some of these strategies where there is a long-term capacity payment and that will attract investment into grid stability and the investors aren't making a bet on what the spot market price will be. They're actually making a decision I'll be available to support the grid in the short term and the long term, and you and it'll allow for a more financially stable and a more elect, electrically stable grid. And so I do think some lessons learned from other markets can come back to the US. Usually it's in the reverse, but in grid stability, I think uh, a lot of the US grids, you know, ERCOT, BJM and whatnot, long-term capacity payments, I think, provide an excellent underpinning for a stable grid. So the U.S. should be taking lessons from elsewhere. Yeah, and, and in a lot of things, it's, it's always reversed. But, but I do think in this particular setting, other countries have dealt with more erratic weather conditions, mainly the countries that are heavily exposed to hydro, hydroelectricity. And you may have heard of the El Nino and the La Nina phenomenon that's a, 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 you know, a drought slash heavy rainfall phenomenon that cycles every two to three to four years. Whereas in the US, we seem to be having weather patterns that's more related to high temperature and low temperature swings. But both of them have the same impact on the grid, either an excess demand for electricity or a uh, an unstable supply, but ultimately a mismatch in supply and demand. And that's where highly flexible power plants can turn on. And if they don't turn on for a, for a period of time, fine. And if they need to turn on for a long period of time, they're financially sound and ready to do it. For the last few years, as far as I can remember, really, we've been in a low interest rate environment. Obviously, that is starting to change. And in, with inflation now, I think over 9%, according to the last report. And at the same time, some economists think we are either headed into or already in a recession. How has that changed the investment opportunities that you're seeing? How, how has that complicated investing in energy markets? So I think at least I can talk to the, to the Glenfarn perspective. We invest in assets that we expect to own and operate as, a, as an entity for 20, 30, 40 years. So we're doing long-term planning. So when we invest or we develop, build our assets, we put a, a long-term plan in place that, that it always exceeds 30 years. And so we want to have an asset that has a revenue model 
that is inflation protected. And we always like to lock in our interest rates for as long as we can, typically 10 to 20 years. And so that allows us to protect on one side against interest rates rising unexpectedly. And on the other side, actually have an inflation hedge where to some extent we're benefiting from that inflation. And so if we continue to do that and we look for places to do that, every new asset that we bring on, we're making that investment decision based on the current interest rate environment and the current inflation environment. So actually, this sort of environment that we're in has, has really been pleasing, not from a global humanity standpoint, but to see our business model stack up and really do well. What we all have to be aware of is high inflation ultimately creates stress in the community and stress in economies and weak economies and weak communities is never a good long-term business plan. So like everyone else, uh, we wanna see inflation come back down. We wanna see interest rates come back down. But while we're going through the high period of both, we, we sleep well at night knowing that we structured our, our long-term business the right way. Well, Brendan, I think that's all the time we have, but this has been a great conversation. I appreciate you joining today and thank you for coming on. It's always a pleasure, Andrew. Look forward to our next chat. Thank you. Once again, that was Brendan Duval, the CEO of Glenfarn. Thank you everyone for tuning in. Don't forget to like and subscribe. And if you enjoyed this conversation, give us a five-star review on your favorite podcast platform. This has been Crossroads. Crossroads.